freshman year, University of Texas, college campus, Jester Hall, third floor right outside of the elevator. Trevor Walker, that is third string quarterback, just waiting, reading his Bible. And so I stop, and then maybe he stopped me, and, and we just start reading a little bit, talking a little bit, but it was at that point I said, okay, something's different about this guy. He said, if you wanna be real about it, let's just be real about it, let's live out our faith on this campus, on the football team with the guys. And it wasn't just me or him, we had about 10, 15, 20 guys on our team that wanted something more. God just erupted inside of me and I felt like a lion. I felt like I was just a lion in those grounds. The men there had encountered Jesus. It was the last thing I ever would have expected going to a prison. And I still keep in touch with a bunch of those guys today from that prison. I went back the year after, I went back the year after. And no matter if you're black, if you're white, if you're if you're in prison, if you're a football player, no matter who you are, God can restore and redeem. And I saw that with my own eyes. So I just signed um, a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract in the NFL. I mean, it was like, yeah, we did it, we did it, man. God is good, oh, everything's gonna be okay. And it wasn't. Right around that time, just the seams started to fall apart in my life. My relationship with my wife, Ngazi, blessing, right? I wasn't loving her the way I was called to love her. Even with my kids, I found myself getting angry with them often or being anxious all the time. My parents just seemed like it was just falling out with every, a lot of people, everyone and everything around me. And I was sitting down at a, at a restaurant in Chicago with one of my buddies. And I finally just got a chance to tell them, I was like, dude, I'm struggling. I am not doing well at all. And as I'm sharing with him everything that was going on, I'm, I'm sharing and I'm actually, I'm like, I started to cry. And he looks at me and he says, it's really nice to see you, Sam. He said, as long as I've known you, I've never seen this side of you. I've always seen the, the, the smile and the, the jerseys and I've never seen this side of you, but it's good to know that you're human. but I just was exhausted. I felt like I was carrying a lot of weight. My teammate who walked in and he saw me, he says, hey, Acho, are you good? I looked at him and said, you know what? I'm not. He said, I don't know what's going on right now, Sam, but whatever it is, you, you need to let it out. I look at him and, and all of a sudden, now I'm in the locker room now and the tears start to come. He looks at me, he says, hey, Ach, it's nice to see you. So many of us, we get trapped and caught, and, and God's like, no, I see you. Let me move this weight off you. The weight I've been trying to carry was this weight of perfection. Right? I have it all together. I have all the answers. I'm the star. I'm the guy. I'm great. And God's like, I didn't have you to carry that. I want you to get to know me and to spend time with me. That's all I want. I am enough, not you. I am enough. 
it is so easy to pretend to act like we have it all together and put on our you know these figurative masks that we wear and be like yeah i'm fine i'm good it's so easy but god is not a god of pretending god is a god of freedom the bible talks about taking up your cross daily and following me am i going to take up my cross and be be real be authentic or am i going to pretend and act like i got it all together and act like i have all the answers it's a daily decision I love that line, um, I see you, Sam, I see you. Uh, I don't know about you, but uh, as I, I wear these every day, I didn't know that this would be, um, I would have multiples in my car ever of masks, but I do, and I never knew that I'd get out of the car so many times and forget that I needed a mask. Uh, I have never thought that I would go into a store and think I knew someone, but I really didn't know them. Have you ever experienced that? And uh, part of this is good for me because I can be incognito unless it says Friends Church on the side. Uh, that kind of throws it out. But I was in the store the other day and uh, I had my mask on and I saw somebody that I, I knew and I got pretty excited. I'm an extrovert. So, you know, I like to talk to people. So I was fully committed. Have you ever been fully committed? Like I was going in and the extrovert was about ready for the high five and I was about ready to say hi. And then about right when I got up to the person, I could see the eyes a little bit better and it wasn't who I thought. Have you ever had that? And then the high five just came down and I just kept on walking. And I was like, Man, I mean, I was fully committed. I was excited. Couldn't wait to see him. Yeah, and then I was like, it wasn't the person. It's that mistaken identity right there in that moment. You ever had that? None of you have ever done that? Come on. And I started thinking about that. <laughs> and I started thinking about us as followers of Jesus. There's so many things, as even Sam said, that, that we look to, that we even put masks on in different ways. And we try and act like on the outside we got it all together and everything's good and when it really isn't. And Sam, in that testimony, just said, the guy told him, I see you. One of the most remarkable things in life is to be seen, I think, is to be known, is to be loved. Especially when maybe you're in a season of need or um, maybe it's a season of desperation. I, I remember... Uh, one of those times when there was a sense of value or a sense of care or a sense of hope. And someone did that for me. It was uh, in 2011, and uh, his name was Dr. Ron Arco. And, and I've told this story before, but Dr. Ron was a counselor. And, and over the year that I kind of hung out with him, uh, we became friends. And it was always great because after about that year, I didn't go and see him regularly, but he would just call me or he would text me, and uh, he would say, How, How's my pastor doing? And the cool thing about Dr. Ron was he didn't even go to church here, but I was his pastor. And then after about two years of writing me, how's my pastor doing? Then it became, how's my fav favorite pastor doing? And then he would just say, I want you to know I'm praying for my favorite pastor today. Or he'd leave me a voicemail and he'd read a scripture and he'd say, I'm praying for my favorite pastor today. And uh, in 2018, 19, he came down with cancer and um, he passed away. And as I uh, got a call from his wife, she said, Ron wanted you to do the funeral. And I was like, well, I'm, I'm not even really his pastor. He, he went to another church. She said, no, he felt like you were his pastor. I said, well, I think he told everybody that. You're my favorite pastor. I think all us pastors felt like we were his favorite. And as I stood up on the stage um, at the Vineyard Church and I did his funeral, I just shared that there was a guy named, I called him Captain Ron, that came into my life. And he saw me 
and he heard me and he cared for me. I think it's one of the greatest things um, when we realize that there is a God in heaven that right now in this moment, no matter who you are or what you're doing, that he sees you and he cares for you and he knows you. One of the most compelling things about Jesus, our Savior, is that he was in the habit of seeing people. He was in the habit of going after those who might have been prideful or arrogant or judgmental or content with their worldly status. He went after the least of these, the lost, the forgotten, those who are on the fringes, those who are needy and helpless, desperate and alone. Jesus just seemed to, to see them in unbelievable ways. And one of those encounters happened in Scripture. And I can tell you, in John chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you want to turn there. It is one of my favorite passages. And I've preached from it before. But John chapter 5 is just rich in so many ways. But Jesus comes into Jerusalem after he had just healed a, a kind of a, a, a royal leader's child. And he comes into Jerusalem, and it says in John chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, it says this, sometime later Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. It has a great number of disabled people, And they used to lie there, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So think about it. Jesus walks in, and there's this this giant festival going on, and there's hundreds and hundreds of people. We don't even remember what that was like, right? (laughs) Because we haven't been in crowds in so long. But there was just people everywhere, and they were all close and hanging out. and, And Jesus comes on the scene, and there is this pool that is there. It's called Bethesda right there, and it was said that when the waters would bubble every now and then, the first person in the pool... So it was said it would be healed if they jumped in. And that was kind of the, the legend or the myth that was going on. And so this pool of Bethesda, there would be people that would hang out there just waiting for that water to begin to bubble so they could go in. And when it was stirred, they said they were healed. Well, Jesus walks in and he sees all these people laying on the ground. In verse 5, he says, one who had been there as an invalid for 38 years, verse 5. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him this question, do you want to get well? (laughs) Some of your translations might say, do you want to be healed? Or another one might say, do you want to be made whole? So Jesus, all these people are there, yet there is this one invalid that that catches his eye. (laughs) And Jesus sees him and asks the question, do you want to be healed? First glance, it seems like a, a pretty easy question to answer, right? Like if you had been paralyzed and lame for 38 years and, and someone came and, and asked you, do you want to be healed? I, I don't know. I'd probably be raising my hand pretty quickly or I'd be yelling, yes, I want to be healed. That's why I'm here. It's been 38 years, but I, I'm not sure. This guy had been like that. It, this was his condition. It seemed that he sort of accepted it after 38 years that he was now the, the victim and just kind of hanging out. But yet, as he was there, Jesus comes. He doesn't mention him by name, and the man's name's never, ever mentioned again in Scripture. He's just known as the invalid. (laughs) Think about that as your identity. He's never talked about again. He's no name. He's untouchable. He's broken. And yet, God uses the no names to raise up his name all the time. (laughs) He uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And this man was just marked by his brokenness, by his hurt, by his past, by his pain. And yet Jesus sees him. (laughs) And he calls him out and he says, do you want to be made well? 
See, he was inviting him to, into something that he had always wanted but yet never received. He was inviting in, him into something that, that he, he was so close to, he thought that, that the world was offering was this pool that said, oh, there's a legend that says if you touch it or if you jump in, when the water stirred, you can be healed. And it was so close to him, yet nothing ever happened. And then Jesus reaches down his hand and says, do you want to be made well? And he doesn't really give him an answer. He just gives him an excuse. Verse 7, sir, the invalid replied, I, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Think about that. 38 years, he trusted in the pool that he could see. Day after day, month after month, year after year, he waited, he longed for, he hoped. I don't know, after 38 years of being so close and yet so far, I might have given up hope. I might have been done. And sometimes I even think in our own lives, we choose the, the bondage of brokenness over the hope of healing. When, when Jesus is there asking us the question and, and it tells us over and over again in Scripture, I see you, I know you, I love you. But sometimes it's just easier for us to stay in the shadows, the familiar, the comfort, or the way we've just kind of lived, or the acceptance that this is who I am and I'm going to play that victim and, and not ever go to Jesus and receive the healing he's offering. See, for us, Maybe there's something we put in place of Jesus that we have put our hope in or our faith in, even though we wouldn't say it. <laughs> and maybe it, was, it is control, or maybe it's power, or maybe it's wisdom, or maybe we just feel like Sam in the video that, man, I got it all right. Everything's on my shoulders. I signed a million-dollar contract. I'm good, and yet his life was falling apart. The invalid's more obvious, but some of us maybe not as obvious. But see, Jesus knew he had been in this condition, and yet he loved him. And he saw the man had done all he could do, and now Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he really didn't answer him except to make an excuse, yet Jesus looks down in verse 8, and he said to him, get up. Two great words. Hey, get up. <laughs> Pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. See, Jesus saw him and Jesus loved him and Jesus healed him and invited him into a life beyond his imagination like no one else ever could. And Jesus just said two words, get up. But can you imagine what it was like for the invalid after 38 years? Because I'm going to guess there's been a few people that have come by and tried to heal him. There's going to be a, a few sorcerers or magicians that have come down and maybe cast a spell and said, you're healed. And maybe he's gotten up and it hasn't worked before. But yet, all of a sudden, God incarnate in human flesh is standing before him. And he says, get up. And I wonder what that moment was like for him. I wonder if Jesus stuck out his hand and just helped him up and then let him walk. But can you imagine the amazement in the guy when he stood up and he actually had strength in his legs to walk? Jesus healed him. After 38 years of waiting and longing and hoping, Jesus did what could never be done by the pool. And it was a step of faith that this man had to take towards Jesus as Jesus moved towards him. Where are you placing your faith today? What is your faith holding on to today? Who are you holding on to today? Hebrews 11, 1 says this about faith. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for 
and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence, which means there is a, a reality and there is something of substance. There is a foundation that we believe by faith. There is a confidence that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. And then there is an assurance. There's an evidence and a proof and a conviction that what God has said in his word is true and that Jesus died and that he rose again for us and that one day he's coming again for us. And there is this place called heaven and eternal life. There is this thing called proof and an assurance that says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. An assurance about what we do not see. So faith is the conviction that what is promised will one day be experienced by those who are called and love Jesus Christ. So what today are you placing your faith in? Lots of options in the world, aren't there? Many things in the world, they promised us many things. And the man at the, the pool, he was promised that if he could just get down there first, that he would be healed. For us, man, we get promised that it's power or it's money or it's influence or it's wisdom, but it's a limited resource and it does run out. I'm going to guess after 38 years, his faith ran out. But can I just always tell you, with God, breakthroughs always seem to happen after great perseverance. God sometimes deconstructs us so he can actually rebuild us in the midst of all this going on because we're all a work in progress. And your identity is formed as you go through the pressure, not a, really around it. But sometimes you have to walk right through it and in it. And God meets you right there and does something you could never imagine. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be whole? I can only tell you tonight it is only found by having a faith in Jesus Christ. The last service we had uh, in March before the pandemic, which was crazy today, I was watching golf and it came up and said, March Madness, get ready. And I'm like, March is already here again. I can't believe it. It's right around the corner. Next month, almost a year. And the last service we had in this place was I got to interview um, former Super Bowl quarterback Nick Foles. And there's a picture of Nick and I on the screen. And, and that was our last service. And then we were done for a little while. And as Nick Foles came and told his story, if you were here, you heard it, and it was awesome. But the thing that, that wasn't talked about too much was um, he replaced a guy named Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz was having an MVP season. And Carson Wentz was doing really well. And if you go back and look at his stats and look at what he was, he was in the top five in most categories in that year. And he was doing great, and then he got injured, and he was taken out. And as they went to go to... The Super Bowl, Carson sat on the bench. He was a top pick. He was making lots of money. <laughs> and yet he sat and he watched as the Eagles won the Super Bowl. I don't know what that was like for him, but I can only imagine. Yet the one thing I love about Carson and Nick is they are both really strong followers of Jesus Christ. And Carson understood something, that God was doing something in the midst of this trial for him. And I'd love for you to take the screens and just listen to a few words of his story and how his faith in Christ is really secure because he knows his identity is found in him. Grew up in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota. Was extremely active in sports. That was pretty much my life. Parents got divorced when I was seven. I was a good kid. I stayed out of trouble. You know, we, we went to church. It was kind of just something we did. It's kind of something we checked the boxes, so to speak. And I thought I was right with God because I was a good kid. I listened to what my dad said. I didn't want to get in trouble, didn't want to miss sports, kind of all those things, all those factors. 
in my mind made me think I'm good. And then I go to college and at that point it's, okay, you're no longer in your parents' house. It's time to grow up, make your own decisions. I remember one of our first practices, it was a senior quarterback at the time named Dante Perez. He ends up asking me, hey man, you ever read the Bible? It was our first practice. I just got done learning about two jet protection and what the X has on the certain plays and all these things, my head's spinning. And he wants to talk about the Bible and I'm kind of taken aback. At the same time though, I was like, here it is. Because I knew God was kind of moving. And from that moment on, him and I started talking. He was a mentor to me. We read the entire New Testament and met up, you know, at least once a week and, and talked through the word. And it just came to life to me. You know, it was really eye-opening to me. I always said I was a believer in Jesus, but I didn't really know what he did for me. You know, I thought it was all about what I could do for him. And when that kind of mindset was flipped on its head and that it was already done for me and that it was a thing called grace and I could live for him freely and not out of rules and obligation, it, it just changed my life. We met actually in the country of Haiti and she was there serving uh, with the organization called Mission of Hope. And this was after my rookie year went down on a mission trip with the, the church that we go to out here in uh, New Jersey. We ended up talking and I just, just to see another woman that, that was truly after God's heart in that moment um, and trying to serve him the way that uh, I was trying to live as well. About a year and a couple months later, we were married. And now we have a, a daughter who's uh, seven months old now and, and she is an absolute joy. It's been, uh, it's been quite the journey together so far. We were all on this, on this high as a team. You know, I was um, in the MVP conversation, and our team was. You know, we just clinched the NFC East, and all sorts of good things going. And uh, my season was done. And for me, I've fa I've had a fair share of injuries, but never something like that. Never something where I literally had zero control of my life. I, I couldn't walk. I couldn't get off the couch to go to the bathroom by myself. I couldn't just complete control had to be surrendered. Believe me, I wasn't the best patient. I was frustrated, I was crabby. It was a trying time, but to look back at it and to see, you know, we go on to win the Super Bowl. Everyone knows that story and, and I was not out there. And to walk through that, um, obviously it was tough at the time and I still look back and think it was a tough time, but I know God was moving in my life and he wanted me to know that he loves me so much that my relationship with him is far more important than winning a Super Bowl, than being on that stage in my uniform, than playing in that game, but ultimately playing for his glory and saying, God, your will be done. And just how God has had his hand from that moment on um, in my life, and, and I thank him for it. me, I've always been a guy that, that wants to have control and my selfishness and my want, desire for control has to decrease every moment and it has to just allow God to increase in my life to try my best to be spirit led and not Carson led. Sometimes I just look at my daughter and I kind of laugh because I'm like, she's mine. And the way I love her that I can't even explain or understand, I know doesn't even compare to how much God loves us almost makes me emotional sometimes because I'm just like, this is my daughter and God, you gave your son to die for, for me. And I'm like, I would never let anything happen to this little girl because she is mine. Like, because of how much he loves me, he was willing to allow his son to go through the agony of dying on that cross. And I think that is when the peace just rushes over me. And I think, all right, God, there's so much more at play than the X's and O's of football and the highs and lows of wins and losses. And that gives me peace.
Am I going to be, yeah, you clap for that, that was a good one. Am I going to be um, Carson-led or Spirit-led? What a great, great question. And Carson said, I'm going to be led by the Spirit of God. Andy Stanley uh, is the son of Dr. Charles Stanley, a pastor in Atlanta, and he just recently retired. Uh, he's 88 years old, I think, and he just retired this year. And I was listening to an interview, and he, uh, Andy asked his dad a, a question, and he said, tell him what you used to tell me, Dad. And he said this, he said, I, I used to tell them that I trust God with everything, Andy. Everything that I have, everything that I ha- am is his. I trust him with everything, and then I leave all the consequences up to him. And he said, in life for 88 years, as for as long as I know, and for over 60 years of being a pastor, he said, I trust God, and I'm obedient to his word, and I leave the consequences up to him. The circumstance might be impossible, the consequence frightening and unknown, but we obey God's word. That's what it means to be people of faith. We obey God, and we trust him in that, and we leave the consequences up to If you read the news right now, Carson Wentz is on the trading block. He's about ready to get traded again, they think. It just came like a news flash tonight. And, you know, he's going to get traded. He just got drafted in 2016 or whatever, and now all of a sudden he's being traded. And he's going to have to, again, come to a decision to say, God, I trust you with everything. And the same is true for you and for me. See, those far from God many times can't understand what biblical faith is. And we as believers sometimes have a hard time living it out. Because many people don't see faith in action today. There's a cynical uh, editor named H.L. Mekin, and he defined faith as illogical belief in the occurrence of the impossible. Illogical belief in the occurrence of the impossible. See, the world fails to realize that faith is only as good as its object, and the object of our faith is God. Faith is not in some feeling. It's not in something that we manufacture. It is in God and God alone. And our response really should be, as Charles Stanley said, I have faith and trust in God, and I leave all of the consequences up to him. See, Hebrews 11, now faith is confidence, as I said, in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith for a Christian is what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that he will stand with you in all things. And we won't truly believe in the sufficiency of Christ's grace until we see the insufficiency of our very selves and how much we need it. See, I think a definition of Christian maturity is realizing and admitting our total dependence upon God to deliver, to empower, and to bring forth any good in our lives no matter what. We leave all the consequences up to him because we trust him with our very lives because it is in his hands. During World War II, in the terrible days of the Blitz, a father holding his small son by the hand, he ran from a building that had been struck by a bomb and him and his son were running out the front and in the front yard was a a shell hole and they were seeking shelter as quickly as possible and the father jumped into the hole and he held up his arms For his son to follow and terrified the young son heard the father's voice telling him to jump, jump. And the boy said, but dad, I can't see you. And the father 
called to the silhouette of his son. And he said, but I can see you. Now jump. And the boy jumped. Because he had trusted in his father's words. In other words, he loved him. And he believed him. And he trusted him. And he had confidence in him. See, faith in the Bible is actually just about putting your trust in one person. It's about putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Only God, only Jesus sees you and loves you and knows you and has the power to heal you tonight. The question is, are you willing to trust him with everything? So where are you placing your faith? May I ask you just to place them in Jesus? We're in a season where we are questioning everything and wondering what is coming next. And yet I sit and I tell people all the time, I'm not too worried. I've not been worried in the past, not been worried in the future. Maybe I should worry a little more. I don't know. But the scriptures tell me, don't worry, Matthew. I got it. So I placed my trust in God yesterday and today, and he says, I am the same, and I will not change. There are a couple guys that were hanging out, and they began to preach about Jesus Christ in Acts chapter 4. And as they began to preach about Jesus Christ, um, uh, the rulers and the Sanhedrins came against them. And it said that they took them, and it was nighttime, and they, they captured them. They had nowhere to put them, but they put them in the jail. And they took him and they put him in the jail because they needed to keep him. And then they were going to bring him in trial in front of everybody. And so they brought him in front of everybody. And here's what Acts chapter 4 says. Listen to these words. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, in the rulers and the elders, he said, listen, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Because Jesus Christ is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And then he says this, salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized, I love this, they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note because these men had been with Jesus. I love it. They were ordinary, unschooled men, but yet in the midst of their Really, I would guess fear. They stood up in courage and said, you can do whatever you want to us, but listen, we're standing on the name of Jesus Christ. And we are choosing to believe in him. And they were astonished. Later on, it says, go ahead and throw us in jail. We don't care. Because as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Can I only tell you, your faith grows stronger only when you're with Jesus. And tonight he says to all of us, I see you, I know you, I love you, right where you are. This is one of my favorite quotes by Mark Batterson. And it says this, what if the life you really want and the future God wants for you is hiding right now in your biggest problem, your worst failure, or your greatest fear? Sam Ocho, Carson Wentz, 
the invalid who was there for 38 years. They're all the same. They needed to trust Jesus with their life. They had to have faith to step towards Jesus as he was stepping towards them. And Jesus became real to them. They actually had to take off their masks and be real to him and admit that they needed God. And that they didn't have it all together. And it didn't matter how much money they had or how famous they were. But they needed Jesus. And Jesus just looked down and says, I see you. I know you. And I love you. And I love that the invalid got up and he took his mat and he walked by faith. So whatever's going on in your life tonight, whatever problems could be overwhelming. What if the life you really want of faith and the future that God really wants for you is hiding right now in that problem or your worst failure or your greatest fear? And he's just saying, would you just give your life to me and trust me? I am with you. I am for you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you stand with me tonight? Father, we thank you for this weekend, that your grace is real, that your love is real, that you are here right now in this moment, and that you see every one of us and you know us. And God, in spite of us, you love us, and you are calling to us, and you know us by name. God, you seek out the broken and the lonely and those who are filled with pain and doubt and worry, and you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So God, tonight, may we be people that walk by faith and not by sight. May we be people that believe that, God, you are in control and that you love us and that you know us and that you are for us. God, may today we spend time with your son, Jesus. May we open your word. May we pray. May we seek you, God, and may you fill us by the power of your spirit like you did Peter. And God, as they came forth, people were astonished because they had met with you. So God, may our faith be evident, not just in words we say, but actually how we live. And so on this Super Bowl weekend, God, the greatest gift we could ever offer to anyone is the gift of Jesus Christ. And salvation is found in no one but him. So God, we come to you tonight. And if anyone is here, that they would just simply in their hearts, if they have never made a decision to choose Jesus Christ, they would just say, Jesus, I choose you tonight. And I believe you are the son of God. And I ask you to come into my life and forgive me and redeem me and restore me. And thank you by faith that God, for those who make a decision tonight or those who have already made a decision, you are with them. So may we walk out of this place in confidence of the one who set us free, the one who has healed us and made us well, and the one, dear God, who sent his son so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Thank you tonight, God. Thank you for every person here that calls friends their home. Thank you for all that you're doing in and through this place. And may you be honored in our lives as we walk out of this place, as people of faith walking by faith. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray these things. Amen.